Well, for those of you who may not know me, my name is Eric Miller, and I am the youth pastor here, as my lovely wife said. And uh, this morning, we are celebrating changed lives. This morning, we are looking at how God wants to intervene in our lives. And I love what uh, these videos represent of the changed life, of the lost being found, of people coming into God's kingdom and finding the freedom that he offers from the sin that entangles us. Amen? I thought I would get a little bit more of a response there. All right, we'll get there. We'll get there. All right, well, this morning, um, I want to talk to us about how the lost are found, how God loves lost people. And we're going to be in Luke chapter 15. If you don't have a Bible, the ushers are coming around. You can grab one. Uh, But go ahead and turn to Luke chapter 15, and uh, we're going to dive in in just a minute here. But as, as we start, I wanted to just open up and share a little bit about myself with you. And there's something that you may not know about me, and that's this. I am very uh, competitive by nature. I, uh, there are certain games that I refuse to play with my wife now because she beats me and I don't like to lose, okay? Um, I really don't like losing. It, it's that competitive nature in me, and uh, I don't like to see losing. I don't like it when I lose things. I, I just, I don't like that whole process. Um, there's more joy and celebration in winning and things being found than, than there is in all the rest of it. And so I'm still in mourning from uh, my Notre Dame Fighting Irish last night, their loss to Michigan. So if you're a Michigan fan, congratulations. And uh, I will pray for your salvation. So <laughs> I'm just kidding. All right. So as we look at losing, as, as we think about this, losing things in general, there's an emotional connection that's tied to that feeling when we lose something. We can probably all relate to the fact that when, when you've lost something, there's, there's, you, you lose a, a piece of you in a way. And as I'm getting older, I'm now 31 years old, I am starting to lose my hair I'm starting to lose my hearing. I'm starting to lose my memory. I'm starting to lose my uh, striking good looks. I'm starting to lose my ability to eat Taco Bell without regretting it later. All of these things come with age, right? I'm just just being honest. Um, As we think about those things, right, those things are, are, some of you are laughing, all of you are laughing, not at me, but because you know what I'm talking about, right? You can relate to that. The fact is that when we lose things that are of value to us, there's an emotional sadness, there's a grieving process that takes place. In fact, when you lose something physical, you lose your wallet or your keys or your cell phone, (laughs) you begin to panic, or you get scared, you get worried, you get nervous, you begin to allow those things to take control of your mind to the point where you cannot function until it is found, right? We, we do that. We see that happen. In fact, recently, this past summer, uh, I was here at the church uh, mowing the, the lawn and taking care of the lawn, and that was something that I had the opportunity to do and, and gladly got to participate in. And I'm out front, right here in front of the, the Family Life Center, and I'm I'm using the weed eater, and I'm edging kind of the, the grass and trimming up around the trees, and, and the cap on the weed eater flew off. And unfortunately, you actually need that part in order for the weed eater to work. And so I, I'd lost this, this piece of, of the weed eater, and I'm, I'm, I'm frantic. I'm nervous. I'm like, I got to find this. So, you know, I, I ceased everything else, and I'm looking for this cap to this weed eater, and I can't find it. And so it was starting to get dark, like the day was coming to an end, so I had to give up, and I was so frustrated, and I thought, all right, so I went home, and I thought, I'm going to pray about this. I know it's 
meaningless, it's insignificant in a way, but I'm just going to pray about it. And truth be told, I actually wrote in my journal, God, this is going to be an awesome illustration someday for a sermon or youth group lesson. And I got excited about it, right? So I, I'm, I'm like, God, I can't wait till you answer this prayer. And I find, I, I find the cap to the weed eater. I thought it was about me. So I'm out, got up early the next day. I came here to the church. I'm looking through all the bushes. I'm digging up, you know, the mulch piles and trying to find this weed eater cap. And I cannot find it. And an hour goes by, and it starts raining, and I'm, I'm so discouraged and frustrated. And here comes into the church parking lot Brenda Rhoda, right? And she's driving into the, the, the parking lot, and she pulls up. She rolls her window down, kind of cracks it. What, Eric, what are you doing? I'm looking for this weed eater cap. I lost it. I need to find it. And so Brenda gets out of her car. It's raining. She gets out of her car. I'm wearing, like, athletic shorts and a T-shirt. And she comes out. She's wearing, like, white slacks a cardigan. You know, she looks very nice, well put together, and she gets out of the car and she goes, let me help you look. And I, <laughs> I'm, I'm like laughing, like, you've got to be kidding me. You're not, you're not going to help me find this thing. I've been out here a couple hours last night, an hour this morning, and she does this. She just walks down along the edge of the mulch and then back, and I'm like, I knew exactly what she was doing. I'm like, she's praying right now. And she finishes her prayer in her mind and she looks down in the bush, and she goes, is this what you're looking for? I was blown away like you've got to be kidding me. I have been searching high and low, and she found it. I'm like, man, her faith must be greater than mine or something. And yeah, I rejoiced. I was so glad. I have told this story so many times. Some of you in youth group have heard this three or four times now. It, it was the smallest thing, and yet God cared that he answered in such a way to expand and grow my faith. Maybe you've lost your wallet, you've lost your car keys, you've lost something of great value to you. What's our response? Have we prayed? Have we asked God to help us? Suppose, though, that we're talking about losing something much more, something much more meaningful of value than an object, an item, or a thing. Think about your life. If you were to lose the greatest Value the thing that's of most worth in your life. Think about how your life would be different. Unfortunately, some of you have lost. And it's not an item or a thing, but it's a relationship or person. Maybe somebody moved away in your childhood, your best friend. Maybe you had to move because of a job or because of circumstances. Maybe you've lost a loved one. Maybe you've, you've lost a grandparent, a parent, a friend, a spouse, a child. We grieve in that process, right? There's great sorrow, far more than any car keys or cell phone or wallet that's lost. The heartache that comes from that loss far outweighs the loss of, of feeling when you lose your keys. And yet, it's in the moment of getting those things back, the reunion of the lost relationships, getting to see the person come back into your life and having the relationship restored, or go with me here, the confident hope of getting to see that person again one day in heaven. Recently over the summer, both of my, my dad's parents, my grandparents, my grandma and my grandmother, they both died within two weeks of each other. And it was devastating, it was heartbreaking, and yet there was this glimmer of confident hope of getting to see them again, 
of being reunited in heaven with my grandparents. In fact, I got to have a conversation with my grandfather right before he passed, and I said, Grandma had already died, and I said, what are you most excited about for heaven? And he said, I can't wait to see Jesus, and I get to tell Grandma that I love her. And I was like, that is such a cool response. He is rejoicing in his final days on this earth. And that gave me an example, a model that I too could rejoice. So Luke chapter 15, Jesus here tries to paint a very similar picture of lost things being found and how we get to rejoice in that. So we're going to start reading. We're going to start in verse 1, and we're going to read through uh, most of this passage here. So read with me, if you will. Follow along. I'm reading out of the ESV. If you learn by, by visual, you know, then close your eyes and listen to it. If you're in auditory learning, then feel free to, to speak it and read along with us. So I want us to get as much out of this as we can. So Luke chap- chapter 15, verse 1. Now, the tax collectors and sinners were drawing near to hear him. This is Jesus. And the Pharisees and the scribes were grumbling saying, this man receives sinners and eats with them. So he told them this parable. What man of you, having a hundred sheep, if he has lost one of them, does not leave the 99 in the open country and go after the one that is lost until he finds it? And when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders, rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and his neighbors, saying to them, rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep that was lost." Just so I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. Then in verse 8, he tells another story, and he says, uh, Or what woman, having ten silver coins, if she loses one coin, does not light a lamp and sweep the house and seek diligently until she finds it? And when she has found it, she calls together her friends and neighbors, saying, Rejoice with me, for I have found the coin that I had lost. Just so I tell you, there is joy before the angels of God over one sinner who repents. So first of all, I think it's important that we know and understand what's the context of Jesus telling this story. First of all, we can see that in verse 1, Jesus, oftentimes when, when we look at this uh, in, in our church, we can't... Can t- can, we can tend to think that Jesus is talking to the lost, that he's talking to those sinners, those people that are, are here, and yet it's not. He's responding to who? The Pharisees, to them grumbling and saying, who does this guy think he is coming into our world, changing everything around, giving us all these new laws? And so Jesus, in his response to the Pharisees, tells these stories Second thing that we need to know is Jesus, in the first two stories, he is talking about that lost item or thing that's lost the sheep, the coin. And look what they do. What what do they do? What's their response? It says that they rejoice, and then it says that they call their, their friends and their neighbors together to celebrate with the fact that there was something lost that's now found. Let's keep going. In verse 11, Jesus transitions from the lost thing or item to a person. And we probably are familiar with this story as well, but in verse 11, we we see the parable of the prodigal son. And Jesus said, there was a man who had two sons and the younger of them said to his father, father, give me the share of property that is coming to me. And he divided his property between them. Not many days later, the younger son gathered all he had and took a journey into a far country 
and there he squandered his property in reckless living. And when he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in that country, and he began to be in need. So he went and he hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country who, who sent him into the fields to feed the pigs. And when he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate, no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread, but I perish here in hunger. I will arise and go to my father and I will say to him, father, I have sinned against heaven and before you and I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. You see, the son is practicing his come home speech before he actually came home. Have you done that? You recite what you're going to do, the, the promise that you're going to make. And then he goes home, it says in verse 20, and he arose and he came to his father, but while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. I love verse 22 because it starts out. But the father said to his servant, the father interrupts him in his recited, practiced speech. And the father says to the servants, quickly, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his, on his hand and, and shoes on his feet and bring the fattened calf and kill it and let us eat and let us celebrate for my son who was dead is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to celebrate. They had an incredible party. And they rejoiced and I just picture this awesome scene where the father says, your, your speech, son, doesn't matter because I know your heart. I care about you. And you were lost, and I've been anxiously waiting. It says that he was watching. He saw him when he was a long way off. He ran to him. He kisses him. He, he gives him even more things than he already did. And he said, none of that matters. The past doesn't matter. Again, guys, the, the point here is that Jesus is trying to tell the Pharisees, and I would challenge us as well in our Pharisaical views as the audience of, of reading Luke 15, Jesus is saying, look, there's a, a different paradigm here that he's trying to teach us. There is great value in people. And there's an even greater set of rejoicing when the lost are found and they're welcomed into the kingdom of God. So what does this mean for us? Well, church, we're looking at this this morning because first of all, God loves lost people. I hope that we're hearing that very clearly. And secondly, because there is great rejoicing in heaven when the lost are found. We saw some incredible videos this morning about how God illuminated to people the things he was wanting to teach them. We're gonna hear some more stories during our baptism in a few minutes about what God has done and how the lost are being found, how God is bringing people into the kingdom of God. But why do we need to know this? Listen very carefully. We need to know this for three reasons. The first one I submit to you is because we tend to be very much like the Pharisees where we want to separate our found selves from those lost people. Let's be honest, in, in our church today, we can very easily, on a Sunday morning, we can come to church and we sit in here in these four walls and we feel comfortable, we feel good about ourselves, 
We can celebrate, we can sing, we can rejoice, knowing that we're found. And yet, when it comes to the lost people that are in our lives, we tend to not really care. We separate ourselves from people who are different than us, don't we? And I think Jesus is trying to challenge us otherwise. The second point of why we need to know this is because God desires to use us to seek the lost. He created a way for you and I to be doing his kingdom work. Jesus commissioned his disciples. He sent them. He said, go, make disciples. Go, seek the lost. Go, tell them about the Savior. We get a part in that. We get to go look. We get to go pray. The picture that just sticks in my mind is Brenda Rhoda walking up and down <laughs> in front of the grass, praying, God, help me find the lost and looking, and right there it is. Church, do we do that? Do we pray and ask God to show us the people who are lost, the people who don't know him? And do we take opportunities to help them get found, to help them meet Jesus? Third thing, most of all, there is great rejoicing when the lost are found. Jesus tells us in this passage in three different ways, as clear as he possibly can, there is great rejoicing. He says at the beginning with the lost sheep that there is more rejoicing over the one sheep that was lost and is now found than all of the 99. And notice that he even says over the 99 righteous persons. He's not talking about sheep. He's talking about us. And can I be very honest with us this morning? I think sometimes when, when we have a celebration, when we have a morning like this, maybe we, in, in, in past weeks, we've had like a balloon on the cross, and we do that to celebrate that there has been a, a person in our, our church family, that their life has been transformed, they have come from darkness into light, and they have entered into having a relationship with Jesus Christ. And we celebrate that. We'll put a balloon on the cross. And sometimes when we reference that balloon in the cross here in church, we do this. It's almost like, because we really, we don't, we may not know the person. We might not really care because we don't have a heart for the lost. And that's so sad because they're having a party in heaven and we're missing out. We're like the neighbors that call the cops on the father whose prodigal son has returned. And really, we're just mad because we're not at the party. Guys, we get to rejoice and celebrate when lost are found. And this morning, we're going to have a party. Again, I was hoping for like, yeah, people would be excited. There we go. Okay, good. <laughs> Church, there's great value in lost things, but there's so much value in lost people. And we were all lost at one point in time, and we were found. We could sing all kinds of songs about that. But there's something special about seeing and hearing those testimonies of changed lives of people who said, you know what, I'm going all in. And, and at the 11 o'clock service, guess what? I get to baptize my sister, who for years, seriously, for years, I have prayed for. My sister was 
lost. She grew up in the same household that I grew up in, was raised with the same values, but she walked away from the Lord. And in just a minute, we're going to see a video and hear of her testimony and how God brought her back. There have been times where I would just sit on, on the riding lawnmower for hours and pray and plead with God, bring my sister back to you, Lord. Convict her of her sin. And it seemed like at the time, every time I would pray that, she would get further and further from God. And I broke my heart, and I didn't understand why. And now I realize that God had to bring her to a point of brokenness. Church, many of you are praying for people in your lives that are lost. And it feels very helpless. And it feels like God's not doing anything. But that is not true. I love what Maria said in that video. God is sovereign and he is in control. And there is great freedom in trusting in him. He offers that to us. In Haiti, we had an opportunity to do some baptisms. And Matt Johnson, our team leader, he was preparing, he was praying for our team and for the 15 of us who were to go to Haiti. And he, he called me one day and he said, Eric, I think that God wants us to, to baptize some, some people when we're in Haiti. And so he asked me to write a devotional, and, and so I started planning this devotional and, and to talk about baptism and what it would mean. And I, I'm picturing in my mind that when we would get there, we would meet with the Haitian pastors and the churches there, and that God would give us opportunities to, to, through our vacation Bible school, through whatever it was that we were doing while we were there, that, that there were going to be Haitian people who would come to know Christ and that we would get to baptize them or that we would leave a devotional or something in these pastors' hands to help them challenge these people to take the next step. So as I wrestled with that, Matt and I talked about it many times, and uh, the, the last day came of our trip, and we got back into Port-au-Prince. We left the villages where we were working up in the mountains, and we got back, and we, we had our, our last and final team time, and we hadn't done any baptisms. We hadn't really even talked about it. And Matt and I had even said, you know, <laughs> maybe that wasn't God's plan. Maybe we, we missed it. And so we sat down and we had our team time and we started debriefing and talking about what did we learn from this trip? And somebody said, I learned that I need to go all in for God. And when we get back, I need to get baptized as a way, as a symbol to show the church, my family, my friends that I'm all in. And so Matt and I, we caught each other's eye and we're kind of like, what's God doing here? Somebody else said, you know what? I've never been baptized either. And you know where we were staying at the time at Port-au-Prince? We were at like a hotel where there was a pool literally right behind us. And it was like full of chlorine and mosquitoes. And we said, we don't care. Let's get in. Let's do a baptism service right here, right now. And you know what happened? Those two people got baptized and five more from our team. Yeah, we can celebrate that. Absolutely. The act of obedience, the act of, of people saying, I'm all in. I'm all in. Church, we get to celebrate this morning. We get to hear some incredible stories of people who were lost and now they're found. Are you excited? I hope so. Let's watch this video of uh, my sister's story. 
My name is Lene Miller. I had reached a point in my life where I just didn't care anymore. I had been hurt by people I trusted, and everything that I thought I knew suddenly became a lie. I turned away from the church and everything that I believed growing up and just started doing my own thing. I didn't want to feel the hurt and pain and loneliness anymore, so I filled my life with things that I thought would make me feel good. One meaningless relationship after another and I still felt empty. Drunken nights and painful mornings and I still felt empty. It got to a point where God really just brought me to my knees. I lost my job back in January and I just remember feeling like I had hit rock bottom. I had pushed everyone away, blew all my money for a good time. I didn't care who I hurt. I didn't care about myself. I was miserable. And then on top of all that, I had no job because of it all. I suddenly had all this free time since I wasn't working, so I decided maybe it would be good to go visit my youth pastor brother and see what good could come out of it. Little did I know the plans that God had in store for me. I packed my bags and drove the 600 plus miles alone from Warsaw, Indiana to Frederick, Maryland. The first day that I was here, Eric got a text message from Mary Beth Myers saying that she had room for me if I wanted to move out here. For years, I had been talking about moving out to Maryland every time I came to visit, but it never happened because I had never been willing to give up my lifestyle back home. That one text message got the ball rolling on things for me. I really had no reason not to move away, other than letting go of all that sin I had been holding on to weighing me down. I spent about a month out here and really fought internally with the decision of moving out here. It felt like the spiritual warfare going on inside of me. Knowing that moving out here meant surrendering that party scene that I had built up around myself. While I was here visiting, Eric had been away for a few days, so I used that time to just be completely alone and really ask God for guidance to make it clear what I was supposed to do. After a few days of being alone, I couldn't stand the quietness anymore, so I started going through music on Eric's computer to listen to. Under the playlist, he had one titled Lene. Curious about it, I clicked open the list to find three Christian songs. After listening to the three songs, it irritated me that those were the songs he had placed in a playlist with my name on it. So I bitterly and angrily decided I was going to add my own songs to the list. While searching through his music to find secular songs I agreed with, I came across a song by Carrie Underwood that hit me like a ton of bricks. The chorus instantly brought me to tears. I remember sitting there with tears streaming down my face listening to that song over and over again bawling my eyes out. At that point it was pretty clear as to what I needed to do. So I went home to Indiana and packed my bags. Then I moved out here to Maryland. And everything since that moment where I sat and sang my little heart out with Carrie Underwood has been amazing. April 1st I left my hometown, Warsaw, Indiana, with these two bracelets on my arm. As a reminder that my past does not decide who I am today, and that no matter the things that happen, it is all part of God's master plan for my life. In my repentance there is light, and I'm placing my trust in God. 
It's been so awesome the way he has lined everything up and how he has provided for me. I wake up daily and say, I know that you've got this, God. He has this awesome plan for me, and I can't wait to see what else he has in store for me. But knowing no matter where I've been, no matter the things I've done, he loves me unconditionally just the same, that's all I need. That is my strength and my contentment and all the happiness that I need right there. Yeah. <laughs> so we want to continue to celebrate. And uh, just because we can, we have uh, a couple baskets up here of noisemakers. And uh, we want to pass these out and make these available. So uh, any of the children, and uh, if you want to just send a representative of your family up to grab a noisemaker, we have a basket here and we have a basket on this side. Uh, these are yours to keep. And uh, as people come up out of the water and as we hear their stories, uh, not until, but when they come up out of the water, we're going to blow these horns. So we don't want to miss out on the testimony time, but we're going to celebrate and uh, clap and cheer and make some noise because of what God's doing in this place. <laughs> 